Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Standing by. Welcome to the Good Food First Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that each participant limit themselves to one question and, if necessary, one follow-up question. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, January 8, 2020, at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Foods' current and future plans, expectations and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or other future events or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would now like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari. Good Food Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Ferrari, you may proceed. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à la belle conférence de marché Good Food pour présenter les résultats financiers du premier trimestre de l'exercice financier 2020, clos le 30 novembre 2019. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp, in which we'll present the financial results for the first quarter, uh, fiscal 2020, ended on November 30th, 2019. I'm pleased to be joined on the call today by Philip Adam, Good Foods Chief Financial Officer, and by Neil Kagi, President and Chief Operating Officer. Our press release reporting first quarter results was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. Slide three outlines our key financial highlights for the quarter. Overall, first quarter results have surpassed expectations in growth and margin, and we're very pleased with the business performance over the first three months of fiscal 2020. We achieved record levels on key metrics, including subscribers, gross merchandise sales, revenue, gross margin, and EBITDA margin. We also continued to generate positive cash flow from operations and ended the quarter in a very healthy financial position with $47 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash. There are a few items I want to highlight on this slide. Our growth in revenue outpaced our growth in gross merchandise sales as a result of lower credits and incentives as a percentage of GMS. Most of this decrease was driven by lower incentives, highlighting our ability to execute highly targeted marketing campaigns with strong results as demonstrated by the addition of 30,000 net new subscribers this quarter. 
Moreover, the growth in revenue and gross merchandise sales was in part driven by an increase in average order value, underscoring Good Foods' ability to provide a more complete offering and to deliver a fuller grocery basket to our Canadians. Finally, our margin improvement continues to build momentum, with adjusted EBITDA margin improving 6.7 percentage points. This improvement is the result of strong execution at multiple levels of the operation. I will now turn to slide four to present a few operational highlights. During the first quarter, we continue to ramp up our product offering to enhance member experience and expand our market reach. Let me provide you with an update on some of our initiatives. First, we expanded our breakfast meal solutions. Since launching our ready-to-blend smoothies in the spring of 2019, we built our offering to now have 32 delicious breakfast products available to our members including numerous internally developed proprietary items like artisanal oat bowls, savory omelets, and high-protein muffins. Our breakfast meal solutions are growing and have reached run-rate gross merchandise sales in the mid-teens in recent weeks. Second, we continue to make progress in building our private label grocery product offering. We launched several new products in the quarter and optimized our offering of existing products. We are nearing 100 items of everyday grocery essentials offered to our members, all of which are sold under the Good Food brand name and at a discount to the branded equivalent products available at major national chains like Loblaws, Metro, and Sobeys. Going forward, we will exponentially grow the variety of grocery products available in order to to work towards fulfilling our members' complete grocery basket. As we significantly ramp up private label grocery essentials, We will continue to optimize our product count by gathering member feedback and monitoring sales. Third, we have made important strategic decisions for our ready-to-eat meal solutions. Recall that these meals were introduced in Quebec and Alberta, respectively, late during fiscal 2019 and early fiscal 20. And we are currently working to expand this offering across Canada. We now have over 20 options available to our members, including full meals, soups, chili bowls, and salads. We're still in the early days, but we have seen solid traction for these meal solutions, and we see a great opportunity to capitalize on the significant market opportunity. As such, we've decided to insource a portion of our offering at our Hickmore facility. We are starting construction by the end of January, and we should be operational in the coming quarters. This will allow us to offer better custom products to our members from coast to coast while improving our margins. Overall, in addition to, a, uh, to address our members' needs and enhancing the total value of customer orders, these products will be a key driver in taking a larger share of Canadians' food grocery basket. Finally, in the coming weeks, we will be opening a new 84,000 square feet f- uh, production facility located in the greater Vancouver area. As indicated in the past, being closer to our British Columbia members will translate into operational and logistics savings while ultimately increasing the quality of our service. On that note, I will turn the call over to Philippe to go over our financial performance. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. We can now turn to slide five, which provides details and detail uh, on subscribers and revenue. We continue to demonstrate solid growth this quarter, driven both by the important back-to-school period and better-than-expected Black Friday results. At the end of the first quarter, Good Food subscriber base reached 230,000 
with the addition of 30,000 net new active subscribers during the quarter. Obtaining continued net growth on a much larger member base confirms our momentum in the market and among Canadian consumers. The subscriber growth was driven by a combination of factors, including continued growth in British Columbia and Alberta, and also in Ontario, where we now have as many subscribers as we do in Quebec, the seasonal ramp-up of our targeted marketing campaigns, and our new and expanded product offering. Revenue has also grown sharply, increasing to a record $56.3 million, almost double the revenue for the corresponding period in 2019, and 44% higher than the fourth quarter. Remember that we increased prices on November 7th in Quebec and Ontario. While the pricing adjustment only impacted our revenue for three weeks of the quarter, this was very well received by our subscribers as it has resulted in few cancellations while many opted to lock pricing in advance. Turning to slide six. Gross merchandise sales also increased significantly to $68 million, up 21% over the fourth quarter and 83% year over year. The strong growth momentum of the first quarter allowed us to approach the $300 million mark in gross merchandise sales run rate, finishing the quarter at $276 million. When looking at the relationship between GMS and revenue, it is important to highlight that revenues grew more than GMS as we achieve a level of incentives and credits of 17.3% of gross merchandise sales, well below the 20% average for fiscal 2019. Incentives and credits are still an effective customer acquisition strategy, but as we continue to increase our revenue base, they represent a lower figure on a percentage basis. Please now turn to slide seven, which compares our gross profit and adjusted gross profit. Our strong execution and operational improvements have translated in continued margin improvement. Despite the fact of new products being launched, we have shown a significant increase in profitability in the first quarter. Our gross profit increased to $16.2 million, and our gross margin reached a record 28.8%, an increase of 6.9 percentage points year over year. Our adjusted gross profit reached $28 million, and our adjusted gross margin reached 41.1%, increasing 3.4 percentage points year over year, on track to reach our 45% objective in the medium term. While we remain remain driven and focused on rapidly growing the top line and expanding the business, our strategic initiatives to expand margin are yielding expected results in line with our long-term profitability plan. The increase in the adjusted gross margin resulted primarily from lower production costs as a percentage of GMS, lower food, packaging, and shipping unit costs due to additional automation investments, operational efficiencies, increased density among the delivery zones, and purchasing powers with key suppliers, slightly upset by the launch of new product offering. The next slide shows our adjusted EBITDA and net loss. Our adjusted EBITDA loss in the first quarter decreased from the previous quarter to $3.7 million, or a margin 6.5%, which represents an improvement of 6.7 percentage points year over year, mainly due to a higher gross profit margin and stable SG&A expenses, but also despite an EBITDA drag from the launch of new products of over 2.5 percentage points. As a reminder, we continue to successfully execute our strategy, which still focuses on growth and capturing market share in the nascent online grocery industry in Canada. We firmly believe being the leader in fulfilling Canadians' digital grocery basket 
is the best driver of returns to shareholders. With that said, we nonetheless improved EBITDA margin 14.1 percentage points over the past eight quarters and continue our strong and consistent execution in achieving long-term growth and profitability goals for good food. Turning to slide nine for cash flow and capital expenditures. For several quarters now, we've been able to finance our growth through cash generated by the company. In the first quarter, we are pleased to have generated positive cash flow from operating activities of $1.5 million. We've also invested $1.7 million in capital expenditures to finance equipment for the new Vancouver facility to invest in automation and in some upgrades to our current facilities. As we continue to grow and optimize our operations, we still expect to spend between $10 and $12 million in capital expenditures in fiscal 2020. <clears throat> Before we conclude, I would just like to make a few comments on our next quarter. As a reminder, the second quarter is typically strong with January and February being traditionally high demand months. However, demand, uh, however, December is usually slower as the holiday season is the lowest demand period of the year. Also note that margins in the second quarter are impacted by higher shipping and logistic related costs due to weather conditions. This concludes our financial highlights for the first quarter and our prepared remarks for today. Jonathan, Neil, and I will now be pleased to answer any questions you may have. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. Please allow us just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question today comes from Frederick Tremblay from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask about the uh, the increase in average order value. Um, can you provide some the magnitude of that increase and and, and the main drivers behind it? Well, is it was it I don't know, pricing, product expansion, uh, a bit of both? If you could provide a bit of of color around that. Um, hi, Fred. It's Phil. Um, thanks for your question. So, uh, average order value um, increased. Um, significantly year over year because of the added products that we've included in our basket. Uh, I'm referring to breakfast, uh, retweet meals, and uh, private label items. So year over year, it's in the range of, uh, of 5%. Um, so directionally, we're very happy with that. And it's just the beginning because we've, uh, we've added only, um, uh, let's say, 150 new items uh, since we started this new, this new division and product offering. Um, so the average order value should continue to go in that uh, in that direction. Okay. And um, on the private label grocery items, um, there was a mention that you know the number of, of products would would grow expo exponentially. Um, provide some 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 details on, on the pace of that. You're at close to 100 items now. Um, where do you expect to be a year or two from now? Yeah, happy to provide a bit more visibility around that. So we, um, you know, when you look at grocery SKUs, um, there's about 80% of uh, sales in, in the grocery industry that will come from 20% of the SKUs in a typical uh, supermarket. So we'll be targeting those 20% of SKUs that end up being the highest movers. Uh, that'll translate into, uh, you know, call it three to 4,000 SKUs, um, uh, for, to, to hit that 20% of SKUs. 
uh, and we'll be working on building that out over the next uh, two to three years. Okay, that's great. Um, thank you, and congrats on a great quarter. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jenny Wang from 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, my first one, in terms of the new product offerings, can you give us an idea of um, what portion of the customers purchasing these new products are new subscribers versus existing? Sure. Uh, thanks for your question. Um, primarily, uh, we are selling our, our new products uh, to our existing customers. Uh, so we do have um, a small amount of uh, breakfast-only subscribers, um, but um, you know, I would say across the board, we're, we're targeting most of our uh, new products to our existing customers to either increase average uh, order size or increase the uh, frequency of the engagement, so the, the average order rate that we would see on a customer. Um, and uh, you know, over the next uh, uh, few months or during this fiscal year, we'll be creating uh, you know, the ability to more easily mix and match products to, to make sure that that experience is seamless and that we can, we can capture an order that contains uh, you know, ready-to-cook products, ready-to-eat products, private label products in a, in a combination and a way that is uh, easy and flexible for our customer base. Thank you. And are you planning on further price increases um, uh, going forward, and would that be throughout all the geographies that you're currently operating in? I, sure. I think our approach is, um, you know, just like any other business, um, it's a it's an annual um, um, general price increase uh, strategy that we'll be looking at. So making sure that we, uh, you know, take um, uh, inflation costs into consideration and and increasing uh, pricing across the board based on inflation. Uh, so that's kind of the general price increase strategy on a on an annual basis. Uh, and then on a more targeted basis, we do have the ability to um, uh, vary pricing of every single product in every single geography. And so based on the, you know, the demand that we're seeing, based on um, competition, analytics, uh, you know, uh, customer shopping patterns, uh, we will have an approach that uh, prices uh, differently in every single market. Uh, and so that'll be, uh, you know, on a more constant basis rather than annual, where we can uh, uh, flex that pricing to to maximize demand and profitability. Thank you. I'll jump back in queue. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ryan Lee from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Thanks for uh, taking my questions. Uh, congrats on a good quarter. Uh, just had a follow-up in terms of the incentives um, as a percentage of GMS. Are you able to give further details on that? Was that planned, or was it just a result of the general market um, in taking up the incentives? Um, and what should we look for in terms of the rest of the year? Is this a good base to work off of? Hey, hey Ryan, thank you for the question. It's Neil here. I'll take, uh, I'll take a first stab, and then I'll let Phil talk about uh, the uh, going forward numbers. Uh, what we um, what we've always uh, said to uh, to investors and to the public is, you know, that credit and incentive line uh, is really a function of the speed of growth. So, um, with very very high growth comes uh, a bigger gap between our GMS and our IFRS sales number. And um, 
still with the pretty aggressive growth that we've had, it's, it's smaller in percentage terms than in the past, which means that some of that will uh, mathematically just reduce the credits and incentives. Um, so that's just a purely mathematic uh, explanation. And then the other aspect is we, you know, we were always evaluating which markets um, uh, are discounting heavier than others for that first-time incentive. And where we feel we have very, very strong market position, we're able to take that, uh, that first-time credit down a little bit. And that's kind of what you're seeing in terms of uh, translation to the overall business. And I'll let Phil take the second half. Yeah, hi, Ryan. So, yeah, we're very happy with the sequential dec decline from, uh, from Q4. Uh, like Neil was saying, most of it uh, was coming from um, the incentive piece of the accredited incentive for Q1, and it's a mathematical uh, formula, bigger bigger base, uh, lower uh, incentive on a percentage basis. Um, uh, however, um, like we said in the past, we're, we're trying to reduce that number over time. Um, so it will vary from one quarter to another with uh, the targeted marketing campaign and the strategy that we'll use. Uh, however, over time, it should continue to uh, to decrease, and we're also focusing on, on balancing um, or, or credits that we're giving to our current member as well. Uh, we're increasing quality uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, therefore, balancing the credit piece of the credit and incentive is also a focus of, uh, of ours uh, for 2020 and the, the year to come. So. Okay, thanks. And then um, uh, my last question is kind of related to the general market, and, um, particularly some of the, I guess, traditional grocers have been talking about increased competition in, in the online space. Have, have you guys noticed anything over the recent weeks and months? Uh, has that stepped up, um, and, and how does that impact you guys? Sure. In our uh, in the ready to cook. Uh, meal space, I would say competition is is uh, stable. Uh, we definitely have um, a few competitors that uh, you know continue to develop the market with us. Uh, we saw the uh, the consolidation of Cook It and uh, Miss Fresh in Quebec um, this quarter. Um, so I think you know overall consolidation is a is a healthy thing for for the unit economics of the industry reduces competition. Um, and gives a little bit more scale to uh, uh, to the companies. You know, I think uh, online groceries and meal kit businesses are are industries that need scale in order to become profitable and and in order to uh, to be able to compete in the long term. Uh, I don't think that move, um, um, you know, to 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 combine Miss Fresh and Cook It um, uh, signals. Um, a lack of interest from grocers to to get into the meal solution space or into into online groceries. I think it really signals that um, uh, companies need to get scale right in order to um, have leading market share and 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 get dominant market positions that can be sustainable over time. Um, and then you know in the broader uh, online grocery landscape. Um, we see that uh, the large grocers continue to, to tinker and to uh, uh, work on their um, longer-term strategy, uh, but we have not seen uh, you know, any direct impact from that uh, on our business today. Um, we feel very comfortable with our competitive position over the next few years, um, and you know, we think we've, we've carved out a really unique strategy that's going to allow us to uh, compete very well, even in a market where investments increase in uh, grocery delivery and, and meal solutions. 
Okay, thanks for taking my questions. Our next question comes from Raviel Afzal from Canaccord. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Congrats on a very strong quarter. Um, a couple of questions. First on SGNA, uh, you had a very strong uh, customer ads in this quarter. Probably, like if if I understand correctly, this will be the highest uh, ads uh, uh, for fiscal 2020. Correct me if I'm wrong. But if that's the case, then should we see SGNA remaining relatively flat? compared to Q1 fiscal 20 levels uh, in the subsequent quarters? Or do you see any significant step up in the SGNA because of employee, hi employee hires or uh, new product offerings? Hey, Ravil, it's Philip. Um, as you know, SGNA includes uh, multiple components, um, including marketing, but also salaries of office employees and uh, other items that we invest to, um, to build the new businesses and, the, and, and, the new, and launch new products. Um, as we grow the business and aim to become the Canadian leader in online grocery, uh, we've had world-class uh, people to help us bring uh, the business to the next level. And I, 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 I don't know if you saw our new IR deck that was um, on our website uh, this morning, but uh, we're seeing that the GNA portion of the SGNA represented between 35 and 45 percent of um, of SGNA total. Um, therefore. Um, Therefore, I, I think investing in the SGNE piece uh, will continue to be uh, something important for us. And the, the S, which is the marketing, um, should, should, should still continue to be a big investment of ours. Um, uh, Q1 was a very good quarter. We have, we've invested uh, in marketing at a, at a very good payback. And uh, the next uh, Q2 so far has been, uh, has been great in that, in that sense as well. So, I mean, GNA will continue to increase on a dollar basis, and same thing for marketing. And on a percentage basis, um, this, should, uh, this should continue to be in the same range. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the thing that I would add as well is, uh, you know, our ready-to-cook business continues to drive um, towards profitability. Uh, but it's important to note that we have a few points of EBITDA margin that's invested into our, our new product offerings. So ready-to-eat, uh, breakfast products, private label products. There's a, there's a few points of, of EBITDA margin that are purposefully being invested into that. Very helpful, thank you. And then, when you look at o your overall incentives, and you take out the just the quality incentive piece out of that, do you see any opportunities to optimize that and reduce the uh, reduce the money being spent on quality incentives? Yeah, hey, Reveal. Um You're saying on the operational quality or on the non-quality? I didn't uh, sorry, that. I'm talking about uh, on the revenue side. Uh, uh, I'm talking about the credit incentives, and within the credit incentives, uh, you have within the credit incentives, you also have quality incentives. Yes. yes. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, so that's what I'm talking about. You know, uh, okay. uh, product being returned back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So we don't actually have returns because it's perishable. So whenever there actually is an issue, yeah. we'll just credit the uh, credit yes. the member oh, and, uh, and let them keep it. So, um, but. Yes, absolutely. Like we we've made actually some pretty amazing progress over the last two quarters on uh, on just executional quality across the board. Uh, as Phil mentioned in the prepared remarks, uh, the the winter snowstorms are never easy on a logistical business like ours. So um, we've gotten a lot better on that as well, and have a pretty solid plan for uh, for this uh, winter season versus past winter seasons. Uh, opening the Vancouver facility is going to help massively as well. As you, as you know, the Rockies uh, can get shut down um, for for days at a time uh, in the winter with avalanches and snow uh, snowstorms. So, um, you know, we're we're 
we're not promising any uh, any massive changes in that, uh, and I would go with Phil's guidance, but it's uh, it's slow and steady progress across the board um, as we you know increase the number of SKUs, uh, add new facilities, and continue to invest in the team. Uh, we also have some great tech. Uh, we hired a new CTO who's uh, who has a lot of operational experience that's going to help uh, put a lot of tech into the uh, ops, which should uh, should lead materially to some changes in the in the coming quarters. Perfect. That's good. That's all for me. Thank you, guys. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from Michael Glenn from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, um, good morning. Are you guys um, – so you're, you're highlighting the positive cash from operations this quarter. Can you provide some indications for how we should think about that for the balance of the year? It swung positive negative through 2019. I'm just wondering if you can – do you think it will be consistently positive this year, or, or should we think of some swings quarter to quarter? Hi, Michael. Um, it's Phil. So, um, so as you know, like in 2018 and 2019, um, we're able to show positive cash flow for, for the year. Uh, there's definitely swings between quarter. Um, like, for instance, in the, uh, even though we were uh, positive cash flow almost a million in 2019, our, uh, our cash flow in Q4 was, uh, from operation was negative. Um, because of the summer, uh, we have a lower demand, lower subscriber ads, which impact uh, our negative cap working capital structure. So, you, you, so Q1 was pretty good with 1.5 million. We're happy with that. Uh, we should definitely see uh, some swings in the quarter. You should expect that. Uh, and you should definitely expect negative uh, working uh, capital impact in Q4 and a negative cash flow from ops. Um, our goal is still to um, to have cash flow from ops neutral while growing at a fast pace. So we're gonna we're gonna try to achieve that in 2020. And um, and yeah, so you should expect swings. But uh, so far, very happy with the cash flow from ops in Q1. Okay. And then on the on the 10 to 12 million in capex, did, can you provide? Um, is there a, a bucket sort of breakdown you can provide to that? Like where where that capital is getting spent? Yeah. Hey, Michael. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take uh, I'll take that. Um, so we're not adding uh, much capacity other than the Vancouver facility. That was uh, one of the the major capex plan uh, for uh, fiscal 2020, uh, and then the rest has been continuing to invest in uh, automation uh, to increase uh, profitability, gross margin, uh, predictability uh, of the business. So uh, it's really those two buckets. Um, and then, as we said in the prepared remarks, um, we've, uh, I guess, finalized the location inside of our facility for our ready-to-eat uh, in-house facility, which, uh, as you know, we've been outsourcing for a while into uh, third-party production. Um, so that'll cost a little bit there. But in terms of scale, uh, automation still remains uh, the largest, and then Vancouver and then ready-to-eat. Um, that's probably the three uh, biggest buckets. Okay. In, in the 10 to 12 because you have another line on your cash flow statement, uh, intangible assets. Does the 10 to 12 exclude uh, what, what would be that amount in the acquisition of intangible assets? Because it was 200000 this quarter. Yeah. Um, I, Mike, also intangible um, relate mostly to the ERP system that we've, uh, we've implemented. And uh, that's part of the 10 to $12 million that uh, that Neil mentioned. It's, uh, it's not... 
the biggest uh, capex investment uh, we're going to do this year, but it's still uh, still significant enough to uh, to to be mentioned and to be discussed. And uh, yeah, the ERP system is changing uh, the way we're looking at, at our. Uh, we operate the business and it's going to help us definitely uh, launch new products faster and, and control a bit better the operation. Okay. No, I just wanted to clarify that that is included in the 10 to 12. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the questions. Yep. Thank you. And we have no questions in queue at this time. I'll turn the call back to the presenters for closing remarks. Thanks very much for joining us on this call. We look forward to speaking with you again at our next quarterly call. This does conclude today's conference call. Thank you very much for attending. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.